at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the It's About the Yankees Stupid Podcast of ESPN's Sweet Spot Network. I am your returning host, Dominic Lanza, and tonight I'm joined by EJ Fagan. Hello, Dominic. So Stacy was going to join us, but she is unfortunately on the disabled list for She's left the us for the Big Shot website, uh, or at least part-time Big Shot website, the, the Hardball Times. Yeah, assuming you're listening to this uh, the morning after you record, which would be Friday the 13th, uh, you should check out Stacy's piece on the Hardball Times because I'm sure it's awesome. It's one of those uh, in-depth pieces she likes to do where she hooks her claws into a, a box score from a game that she watched or attended when she was younger and just talks about everything that went into it. I haven't read the full th- article, but everything about it sounds great, and Stacy worked really hard on it. I'm really excited to see it. Yeah, when, St- when Stacy does those articles, they're wonderful. I mean, absolutely wonderful. She's been at some pretty cool games, too. Definitely. Um, so just speaking of Friday the 13th, I, I want to uh, uh, give a shout out to Camp Noe Bosco, the Boy Scout camp I went to at a kid where the movie Friday the 13th was filmed. They're celebrating the, the holiday tomorrow. So on their, Bosco. on their official website, they have a message for people who go to the camp looking for the legendary Jason spots, telling them to stay away because they scare the kids. Yeah, the, yeah, scare the kids. They almost hurt the kids. Okay, never mind. So... Yeah. <laughs> I've had to deal with those crazy people. We once had, I'll just, I'll, well, I won't, I won't tell this complete story. Um, but at one time we had like a caravan of people show up just to go hang out in the camp. There was like 50 of them. And we had to say, no, no, you can't do that. Sorry. Continuing on. Friday the 13th fans, I hate you all, but you're wonderful. So. <laughs> all right. So, so the last time we talked uh, was the day before the Yankees wildcard game, which as you all know, they won before going on to win the World Series. Uh, so, you know, they're heading into this offseason as the defending champions. I'm pretty sure that's what happened, right? Joe Girardi's changing his uniform number. They're, like, changing the obvious little plaque that, you know, has the you know, 28 on it. And, yeah. I mean, I was pretty shocked that they gave uh, Jose Perella the World Series MVP award and then ended up trading him. But, I mean, I guess we don't know what happens behind the scenes. Yeah, it was a terrible October. <laughs> But yeah, so obviously the Yankees actually lost, and the playoffs were pretty exciting until the World Series, actually. Uh, I watched a lot of the games, and the World Series at some point just felt like a foregone conclusion that the Royals were the team of destiny again, and they were winning, which they actually did this year, but it was a fun playoffs. Lots of home runs, lots of great plays, lots of young players stepping forward and kind of showing us this new generation we've entered into which builds a bit off of our last episode where we talked about all the great young players, you know, the Bryants and Correas and Syndergaards of the world. You know, uh, the Royals aren't that young, though. That's the interesting part about them. Like, you know, they, they took a bunch of prospects that just took forever to get good, but they all got good, right? You, know, you, don't, you don't expect uh, Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakis to, to be good after failing for, what, three and a half seasons. 
Um, but I guess the thing about I guess the thing about their age that kind of impresses me is I guess they're not young in the like the sense that you look at their ages and think, wow, those are those are young kids. They're not you know twenty one, twenty two year olds like uh like Trout or Harper, but all their players are the same age. Like Salvador Perez, Eric Hosmer, and Mustakas are all twenty six. And then you have Alcides Escobar, who's 28 or 29. Uh, Lorenzo Cain is 28 or 29. Now, the old man of the group, at least among the players that really mattered, was Alex Gordon, who's 31. So yeah, it's just, it was kind of neat ball to see. And rookie ball together. Yeah. It, it, reminds me, it reminds you of, you know, the stories of Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada down in A-ball. Exactly. Um, similar, similar kind of thing, except not as good. <laughs> but yeah, so... Now, who cares about all that stuff? Because, you know, hashtag Yankees only. So we're in the offseason now, and it, it really only feels like the offseason just began. And I guess that's true, even though it's been going on for a little over a week now. But the Yankees made a couple of moves yesterday. Yesterday being a Wednesday. Uh, that would be November 11th. Uh, the first deal was a pretty minor deal that I think was just to clear a 40-man roster spot. You can correct me if you disagree, EJ. Uh, they sent utility player Jose Perella. Um, I'd call me every website's calling me utility infielder, but he played a lot of outfield last year between a few levels uh, to the Padres for Ronald Herrera, who's just a kind of like minor league roster filler relief pitcher. Uh, he's a big dude. He's a big dude that doesn't throw very hard, so he got kind of half of what the Yankees look for. And I mean, a big dude isn't heavy set because he's actually—I think he's only six feet or six foot one, which goes a little bit against the Yankees' grain. But he's like a mini Bartolo Colon. He's he's an arm, right? He's an arm for Jose Perello, who the Yankees certainly couldn't get much out of. Though I, I really have a feeling. And maybe maybe I'm just jaded by by Perilla's minor league statistics. That this is one of those de- deals where ten years from now we're going to be going, yeah, that guy, that guy who's you know been a decent-ish major league player for ten years, he was a Yankee at one point, you know, kind of like a little bit better version of, of Ramiro Pena, who is still playing somewhere. I think he was on the Braves for like six years. It's actually funny because it's it's to the Padres who already got a lot more out of a uh, Hervis Solarte. Than everybody really? thought they would get. He was better than Chase Headley this year. Yes, Solarte has been great, and, and um, he was good after the Yankees traded him to uh, uh, to San Diego last year. He just kind of had a bad couple of months that got him traded. Yeah, I mean, I, I really I pulled up a uh, Baseball Reference to prove me completely wrong about Herrera. They list him at five eleven, one eighty five. So I have no idea what I was thinking. Must have been looking at the picture of the guy he was next to. Um, but yeah, I mean, last year, as in twenty fourteen. Slarte had a 104 OPS plus with the Yankees and then a 102 with the Padres and he had a 109 OPS plus this year. So this is, I guess this is the player he is. Yeah. And yeah, and good for them. And yeah, the, um, it's the one thing the Padres did right, I guess. Yeah. They're the only, the the Yankees lost that were the only team to lose a trade to the Padres this year (laughs) out of like 15 trades. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, the, the big deal that everybody's talking about, and with good reason, because it has ramifications, you know, across the team, really. Um, the Yankees dealt John Ryan Murphy to the Twins for Aaron Hicks. And one of the things that I saw um, a few people say is that this is a deal that just seems good at face value because fans of both teams hate it. 
You don't see a team gloating about the move. You don't see the Twins fans saying, oh, now good, the Yankees have our problem now. You don't see Yankees fans saying, oh, well, good thing Murphy's gone because he was what he was. I mean, both both fan bases are a little distraught. You know, the Twins see a lot of potential in Hex. He was a former top 20 draft pick, former top 20 prospect. And, you know, the Yankees saw J.R. Murphy, the former J.R. Murphy, I should say, outplay Brian McCann for stretches of the season. Yeah, he was JR when he was like 17 and drafted, and we've been calling him it ever since. And he's like, no, guys, the name is John Ryan. JR was my high school name. Um, I, I think I, the, the interesting thing about this trade, I think, is that is that I think JR Murphy was a pretty good player, and I think he'll be a decent starting catcher if Minnesota decides to go that way. Um, I mean, we were talking about a month ago, we were, I think all three of us were basically okay with playing him in the wild card game instead of, instead of Brian McCann. Uh-huh. Um, but Brian McCann's probably, you know, in the short term, a better player. And, you know, regardless is, is on the team with a big contract and probably isn't going anywhere. Um, and so he's an asset that you can, you can, you can get something for. And, you know, maybe he's like a one and a half, two win player. You know, he's, you know, a slightly worse version of Cervelli. You know, if that, that's, that's a, I think, a pretty reasonable um, outcome for him. Uh, but the good, you know, Aaron Hicks has some upside, right? So on one hand, you're trading a fourth outfielder for a backup catcher. But then on the other hand, you're trading, a, you know, a, a backup catcher with, you know, like below average starter upside, for a fourth outfielder with pretty considerable upside, there's a world where Aaron Hicks is, you know, AJ Pollock next year. Yeah, it was actually I thought it was kind of funny because um, Keith Law had wrote an article about you know potential trade targets in the offseason for outfielders, and he ranked Hicks's you know potential steal for the team that acquired him because he really turned it on in the second half last year after returning from an injury, and you know he was about a league average hitter. Um, on the season last year, a little bit above after the injury. And I think the biggest thing for the Yankees this year, assuming this is their last big move, is just the fact that he destroyed left-handed pitching last year. He actually wasn't that far off from Chris Young, except the difference is, you know, he'll make league minimum this season, and he's 26 and a fantastic defensive outfielder that can throw the ball 100 miles per hour from the outfield, which isn't an exaggeration either. StatCast had an article earlier this offseason about 100-mile-per-hour throws from the outfield, and Aaron Hicks had three of them this year. So let's say, let's just assume for a second that Beltran isn't playing for for a little bit, and you have Gardner, Young, and Ellsbury uh, on the team. Does Ellsbury play right field? Gardner play right field? I mean, Hicks is the best defender of the three right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know, but it's a good problem to have. I mean, defensively, I, at least. I mean, Ellsbury doesn't have a terrible arm, but he doesn't have a great arm, so him in right field might be difficult. But, you know, Gardner's arm can handle right field. So, um, but, Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe you put Hicks because his weapon is a his arm is a genuine weapon in the small right field. But it's, it's actually funny, too, because I've seen a few people already criticizing the potential to have an outfield like that, but Aaron Hicks isn't a, isn't a powerless hitter. I mean, he's not a big-time power hitter, but he has 20 home runs in 247 games. It's like a 13 or 14 home run pace over the season. Yeah, and he slugs just below 500 against lefties. Yeah, and I mean, he has 10 home runs and 261 plate appearances against lefties. That's a guy you want in there against left-handed pitching, and I think that's that's his baseline, right? Is a 
fantastic fourth outfielder that destroys left-handed pitching and can come in in a pinch and make your outfield defense go from average to good and from good to great. Yeah, yeah, I think you know the the the, the Yankees have a couple of ways they can go with him, right? So they could do the Trey Gardner thing, which it seems like they're 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 exploring, and we'll talk about later. Um, and you know, and start him, start him in as your center or right fielder. Uh, or they could try to platoon him with Beltron. Maybe maybe he do both and find another platoon partner uh, for Hicks. I, I, the, the, he gives them a lot of options, and he'll give them options for the next four years, right? He's not a free agent until after the 2020 season, um, and he'll be in his 20s that, 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 that whole time. I kind of think of this acquisition a little bit like Didi Gregorius, right? Solid player, young, good at defense with some upside. It's not, and, a, not a world-beating acquisition, but it's an acquisition that, that make, keeps the Yankees cost-controlled and young in their 20s for a long period of time. And that's not something the Yankees have, have done recently. Yeah, and Aaron Hicks, I think, maybe the overall upside isn't as high because it's shortstop versus center field, but Hicks's offensive upside, I mean, maybe you say he's past the point because, you know, he's already 26 and he's not a huge guy, but he's bigger than you'd think. Um, but I mean... There's a reason why he was a top 20 prospect a few years ago. I mean, he was the ranked as a top 50 prospect by baseball prospectus as recently as 2013. This isn't a guy who, you know, popped up and then ran away. And yeah. one of the interesting comparisons I saw was to uh, another Twins guy who got rushed to the majors and subsequently bounced around from some organizations and found himself and became one of the better center fielders in baseball at 27. And that's Carlos Gomez. He's actually pretty similar to Hicks overall. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, th- those crazy athletic guys can put it all together and, and do very well. I don't think he has the power that Carlos Gomez showed, but of course I don't think anyone thought Carlos Gomez had the power that Carlos Gomez showed. Um, I mean, if you take a look at in 2015, he played 38 games at AAA. He hit two, uh, 342, 405, 544. Pretty good. 2014, he played 24 games at AAA. Um, he, hit, he, didn't hit, he hit worse, but not that terribly. 278, 349, 389. Um, you know, he's got decent strikeout rates, decent walk rates. He can steal bases. He can play defense. I, 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 think, I think the, the floor is there. You know, um, almost like, like I've, I've talked about Mason Williams on this podcast where Mason Williams, at the very least, has skills to be a contributor at the major league level, um, and he has upside. I think I think that's true for Hicks. Very different types of hitters, but still. Yeah, and that's I think that's what a team like the Yankees should be doing. That's what a team, any team, should be doing. You know, you perceive John Ryan Murphy as a little bit of depth, maybe a little bit of a luxury because of the guys we'll talk about next, or at least the guy we'll talk about next. Um, And you move it for somebody with upside that you have a small role for at the outset. You know, again, assuming nothing else happens, he's the fourth outfielder. But, you know, the Yankees' fourth outfielders the last several years have played pretty major roles. I mean, Chris Young had around 400 plate appearances this year. And I think there's the upside to Aaron Hicks is that when Chris Young was forced into full-time play, he got a lot. He, he was a hole because almost all of those games he was playing against right-handers. And when he played a game against a right-hander, he was one of the worst hitters on the team. 
where Hicks is a little better. He is, his platoon splits are a little less severe. He's still a lefty specialist, um, but he's better against right-handers than, than Chris Young was. And so if, if he starts as the fourth outfielder and Carlos Beltran or somebody gets injured, I think he's a, he's a much more able fill-in. And I mean, so... I mean, quick summary of your thoughts on the trade. Win, lose, in between, remains to be seen. Uh, win. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to call it a win, too. And, uh, you know, that kind of leads into the immediate impact of who's the team's backup catcher. Um, and, of course, for now, the Yankees are saying it could be Gary Sanchez, it could be Austin Romine, it could be Eddie Rodriguez. Uh, I, I have to assume this move was this move has to show some bit of good faith in Gary Sanchez's abilities. Because... You know, last time we talked, we talked about whether or not Sanchez would have to be moved. We said it would be a discussion for the offseason, and here we are. You know, they don't have a space for Sanchez and Murphy and McCann, because they had Teixeira entrenched at first, then Greg Bird behind him, then Rodriguez at DH, and you know, you couldn't really shift a Romine or a Murphy to first base or DH. So, I mean, I... I think maybe you might want Sanchez to get more regular playing time because he hasn't had a full season at AAA yet, but this wasn't a move that shows faith in Romine or Eddie Rodriguez. This is a move that says we want Sanchez on this team. I mean, let's be honest. Why should we have faith in Austin Romine right now, right? This guy is a career in 208 games, 811 plate appearances, 251, 307, 371 hitter at AAA. And this, in the 2015 season, he had, he had almost that exact same batting line. Um, you know, he's a, he's a, a third or fourth catcher in, in really any organization um, at this point. He can hit. He's a good defensive player, but not a great defensive player. Um, I, I, I see no reason to, to count Gary Sanchez out. He hit the crap out of the ball this season. Um, and he hit really well, AAA, 295, 359, 500. Um, he's probably the best hitter in the Arizona Fall League this, uh, uh, this season. Um, he's a good enough defensive player. He's not Jesus Montero that he can play the position. He can back up first base. You know, you can be sure that you're going to want to give Mark Teixeira some days off, and, and you, you'd rather not have to put, you know, Brendan Ryan there when you give Mark Teixeira a day off. Um, you'd rather not have to call up Greg Bird all the time since look, uh, Cashman today announced that Greg Bird would almost definitely be starting at AAA. I, I just I don't see any reason to hold the guy back. I mean, it's it, at this point, if he's not ready now, after the amount of time he spent in the minor leagues, after the performance he had in 2015, after the Arizona Fall League, after the good defensive reports, he's never going to be ready. I mean, the only thing I would say is, and this isn't this isn't a knock against Gary Sanchez. This is. I guess, a challenge to the Yankees. You know, Brian McCann is going to be 32 by the time the season starts. He has something like ten or 11,000 innings crouched behind home plate. And he has worn down at the end of both seasons with the Yankees. But he's still got 535 plate appearances with them this year. And... The team gave all of 172 to John Ryan Murphy. If you're calling Sanchez up and you're saying he's good, he's ready to go, that split should be more like 450 to 275. Yeah, I agree. And and 
may, I don't, it may be just something just inherently dumb about major league teams or about you know deep in the psychology of baseball. But there's a lot of players the team should be resting more than they do. Um, especially you know older players, players at the at the catcher position. We you know the, this this stuff is all pretty obvious. Um, I'll be honest. If I were God, like my 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 God's plan for the for the off season would have been actually trade McCann while he still has value, and play Murphy um, with Sanchez as the backup. Now I'm not God, and there are things like you no know, trade clauses that prevent you know this from being really easy for Cashman to do. And so he went the other route of trading J- uh, John Ryan Murphy. Um, but I I think I think as far as backup catchers go. Gary Sanchez is a pretty good bet, right? We are talking about a top prospect who can still hit, who improved in every aspect of the offensive game last season um, and has had latent talent for a long time and is still only 22 Uh years old, right? Catchers develop slowly. 22 is not that old. If Gary Sanchez had gone to college instead of being signed out of Venezuela, uh, this would be, he would be ahead of schedule. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't. He wouldn't seem like he's been around forever. It only feels like it's been around forever because the Yankees signed him in two thousand nine. Yeah, and it's it's also worth noting. I know projection systems are notoriously wonky, but Marcel's, which is a projection system that uh, Baseball Reference has added to their website, sees Sanchez as a guy that could hit two sixty, three twenty five, four twenty this year, which is better than Murphy did, and uh, Steamer, which is on Fangraphs. Has him at two fifty, two ninety nine, four thirty four. And we'll see how good he is. We we have no idea if he's a pitch framer. We know that in the minors he's been pretty good to to above average at the um, controlling the running game because that's something mm-hmm. we can measure in the minors. So we'll see. You know, worst case scenario, um, you know, the Yankees call up Austin Romine to get a kind of an okay backup catcher or a ba- you know, a below average league backup catcher uh, middle of the season. And backup catchers are available out there. In fact, a lot of really good catchers got traded last season. Hank Conger, I think, got traded last season. Um, what's his name? The Diamondbacks, who hit like 35 home runs, got traded last season. I, I, I don't think it's impossible for them to solve this problem if, say, Brian McCann got hurt and Gary Sanchez wasn't playing well. No, not at all. So I, I guess then the focus should go to what if what if this isn't the last trade of the offseason? Um, which, you know, is, I, th- I think, the hope of most Yankees fans, uh, which leads into the trade rumors swirling around about uh, Brett Gardner and, to a lesser extent, Andrew Miller. Um, Brett Gardner is interesting just because, again, you know, we talked about Aaron Hicks and, and that upside. You know, if the Yankees really love him and they really see something and they see something their new hitting coach team could tweak, maybe they say, you know, this is a guy that can give us 75% to 80% of what Brett Gardner gives us for $13 million less per season. Let's move Gardner and reinvest that elsewhere. I mean, I'll give you another option. Let's move Gardner, save the money, uh, have Aaron Hicks replace Chris Young and sign Jason. Exactly. It's, it's one of those things where the possibilities are kind of intriguing. Yeah. I, I mean, this, I mean, it's all wrapped up in Brett Gardner, right? So we, we know Brett Gardner can be traded. We know that teams would give the Yankees something for him. We've heard rumors of James Paxton uh, from the Seattle Mariners, and we can talk about that if you want. Um, but the, the Jason Hayward is a free agent the Yankees should be signing, right? The, the problem with free agents is that you almost always get them 
at the tail end or after the prime of their careers. Jason Hayward is 26 years old. He turns 27 years old in August. He is in great shape. He is from Ridgewood, New Jersey, originally at least. Um, I, I would. I the Yankees should. If the Yankees are going to spend two hundred million dollars on a free agent anytime soon, Jason Hayward is the only impending free agent in the next couple of years. I'd like to. See yeah, until Yankees. until Bryce Harper is a free agent, this is the guy you want to invest in. Yes, and then Bryce Harper is a free agent, and the Yankees give him a billion dollars, <laughs> and he plays on the team at a, when he is twenty five years old. Thank you, Bryce Harper. Um, yeah, the Yankees will pay a billion dollars for Bryce Harper. Um, so, so here, so let's let's presume for a second the Yankees are going to trade Brett Gardner. They have made the decision that they're either going to play Hicks or Hayward or Mason Williams or whoever, and they say we're going to trade Brett Gardner. Uh, would you take the rumored trade of Gardner for Paxton and Taylor? I, I'm. I'm not sure. I, I like James Paxton, but he scares me. And I like Chris Taylor, but he was really bad this year. I feel like you're kind of I feel like you're kind of buying low on both of them because Paxton's been hurt for most of the last two years and like I said, Taylor was awful this year. But if you, if I was looking at them heading into this past season, I think I would love it, and I, I don't know that this season should dissuade you. I think they're both lottery tickets, more so than something I'd count on, but I think if Gardner's moved, it will be for lottery tickets, and I'm not sure how much better you could do than that duo. So I'd say if if they have a plan to reinvest that money immediately, I would do it. If they're just getting younger, I'm not sure if I would do it. Yeah, I mean, so... I, when I think about this trade, I'm thinking about the, the two trades the Yankees made last offseason. So the Marlins trade for Ivaldi, the Yankees gave up uh, Martin Prado. And Prado is not as good as Brett Gardner. It's not even close. Gardner has been a consistent three, you know, 2.5 to 4 win player at least over the last couple of years. You know, he's on a reasonable contract for a couple more years, and then he, he won't be too old when it's all over. Um, he's an asset. Teams will give up something for him, much more than they would give up for Martin Prado, who was on a bad contract and had half a season of being good. Uh, Eovaldi seems comparable to James Paxton in a lot of ways. Now, Paxton's under team control for longer. He's cheaper. He's probably better, but he's much more of an injury risk. Uh, Eovaldi, for all his problems uh, up until two months ago, uh, was a, a pretty healthy player. Um, that said, Paxton could be pretty good. And I don't know what else is out there. If, if it came down to keeping Brett Gardner or, you know, know, and not signing Hayward or whatever and trading him for, for those two guys, I think I'll take it. I mean, they could, they could both be pretty good. I don't know where Chris Taylor plays. I think, I think you, I I think that's part of my hesitation a little bit with it too, is because Chris Taylor is a good not great defensive shortstop and he's played second base and he's played second base well. So I could see him being, you know, the team's second baseman, but I don't know that he's so good that I feel like it's giving the Yankees. I think I've also been swayed a little bit because the uh, Cubs haven't made it a secret that they're looking to trade for a center fielder, center fielder. And I 
would love Javier Baez, who I assume is one of the players they'd be offering for a center fielder. So I think it would have to be somebody like Javier Baez that... I mean, I'm, I have no delusions that Brett Gardner could fetch a current top 10, top 15, even a top 50 prospect, but Javier Baez, you know, a former top 10 prospect that has a little bit of a little bit of dust on his prospect luster, but has all the tools in the world. If they're going to go chips in on a, on a soft rebuild, at least, and get younger, I would want somebody like Javi Baez in return. If another move is coming, like I said, maybe I'd ask for a bit less just because you're freeing up that salary. Okay, so here, okay, so let's talk about Andrew Miller. So the Yankees are looking to trade Andrew Miller. Maybe the rumors are a little less specific than the Brett Gardner rumors, and and I I don't think we saw it coming as much as we saw the Brett Gardner stuff coming. I think it was pretty easy to see that Gardner was on the trading block. So first question: If you're Brian Cashman, do you go out looking to trade Andrew Miller? Like, is that part of your plan, or are you uh, you know listening to offers and if someone blows you away, you'll bite? Definitely the latter, because as much as I think relievers are largely fungible the fact is that the yankees bullpen to put it bluntly went to shit as the year wore on and it was really even bettens's wore down so, i mean but just counting him as, as as being steady miller was steady when he was on the field the rest of their bullpen was kind of cruddy and you know if they're you can't really count on cashman unearthing more gems or every single reliever that slumped in the second half bouncing back, the bullpen would kind of look like a weakness to me because I doubt a team's going to be trading back relief pitching prospects for Andrew Miller. So, I mean, if they got something, you know, that that knocks your socks off in return, if I'm trying to think of the teams that, you know, the, the Nationals were rumored to want him. If the Nationals were like, if you trade us Andrew Miller and... I don't know, a couple of B prospects, Jorge Mateo, you know, as a, as a blue chipper, will send you back Steven Strasburg. Then I do it and worry about the bullpen later. Because, you know, Strasburg's a guy that they seem to be souring on because he's been a little bit of an underachiever. He's been hurt a little bit. But that's, that's a trade you have to move Andrew Miller in. But outside of that, unless you have something clear in mind, shopping him seems risky. Yeah, if there were better relievers on the free agent market, I think I'd be cool with shopping him. Um, you know, you, you sell Andrew Miller and you buy, you know, Drew Storn or someone, right? Like they did last year. Right. Uh, I do, uh, even though I guess last year, I mean, Robertson was a free agent. But, yeah. Um, you know, I think, so I think the only equivalent to that, because the best free agent reliever is Darren O'Day, right? Yeah, that's not going to happen. I mean, I'll take Darren O'Day, but I'm not, he's not going to replace Andrew Miller or even come close to it. Um, I think I, I think the Craig Kimbrell scenario is still out there. The uh, you know the, the Yankees reportedly offered Jorge Mateo and some other guys for Kimbrell uh, at the trade deadline, and I'll take that. Um, and then you you take Miller and trade him somewhere with you know with your surplus, um, or even take Bettinson and trade him somewhere. I, I don't know, um, but um, you know maybe you know maybe you get lucky and someone offers you Josh Donaldson for Andrew Miller. Um, but uh, yeah, besides that, I, I'm not I'm not in a rush to trade him. I'm basically on the trade Brett Gardner no matter what bandwagon. I'm not sure about you. 
Um, I think I think he's I think they can just do better at outfield right now, and he's tradable. Um, personally, if I could trade Ellsbury and Beltron, I'd do that too, because um, there are outfielders out there to be had, and I think actually Mason Williams and Slade Heathcott are pretty good if they can stay healthy. Um, so, but you know, it'd be interesting to see what people offer. I, you know, the, the if, for example, the Diamondbacks are rumored to be interested in Andrew Miller. And the Diamondbacks haven't always been smart, <laughs> and so who knows who who they could they, they could offer in return? Um, you know, who knows if AJ Pollock is coming our way because Tony Larusa thinks he looks bad. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, not that that's that's likely to happen, but they did just sign Matt Williams as, the, as their third base coach. So I, I you know I, maybe they get blown away, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not I'm not in a rush to trade Andrew Miller. Uh, the Yankee, the bull, we don't really yet know how valuable a hot, a really good bullpen is versus a good bullpen. Um, but the Yankees aren't going to have a whole lot of strengths going into next season and certainly not going to be starting pitching. And so, um, you know, it's, it's nice to have something that the Yankees are good at and they're getting younger and guys like Aaron Hicks, you know, make the team a little bit better in kind of subtle ways. Um, but there aren't that many elite players left on this roster other than Andrew Miller and Dylan Bettences. And I, I, I do think too that bullpens might, I, I don't want to say the stupid things that everybody are saying, like, you know, everybody wants teams to be built like the Royals now because the Royals made it to the World Series in 2014 and won it in 2015 because that's just inane and silly because the team basically has to suck for eight years before they can do anything of note. Um, but the World Series did show how much a good bullpen can mean, a great bullpen can mean, really, because the Mets kind of matched the Royals every step of the way until their starting pitching left the game. And the Yankees certainly don't have the Mets starting pitching. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think a lot, the, the Tampa Bay Rays this season and then Joe Madden on the on the Cubs both had really quick hooks and it seems to be kind of where smart baseball people are going because if you think about it this way right let's look at Masahiro Tanaka Tanaka was a pretty good pitcher you know he, he had a, a, an ERA in the mid threes but let's say he had a 3.0 ERA right let's that was his true ERA and he's on he's third time through the order we know that there's a penalty for third time through the order that batters get better the third time they see a starting pitcher for obvious reasons even if Tanaka was his old self most like most good MLB relievers are better in that spot than Tanaka, not even counting the third time through the order penalty. Once you count that penalty, the, an average MLB reliever is better than Tanaka in that spot. That's just what they've, uh, an inning from an average MLB reliever has an ERA of about 3.3, 3.2, I forget what it is. You know, a, 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 an, an inning from a good reliever in the back of, you know, pretty much any decent bullpen is a, what, a 2.5 ERA or so these days. Tanaka can't match that on his best days, and Tanaka's pretty good. Um, so, I, you know, I think that teams like the Royals who can, you know, staff their bullpens with five or six pretty good to very good players are going to have a real advantage. And luckily, the Yankees are a team that have proven they could do that over the years. Uh-huh. You know, it's too bad. Imagine if the Yankees hadn't traded Mark Melanson. Yeah, he really developed into something special over time. 
Yeah, you know, the, he looked really bad when he first came up with the Yankees. And then I, I feel like the Yankees kind of punted and traded, traded him for, I think it was Lance Berkman. And that was too early of a punt because he was one of the best relief prospects in the minors at the time, and he's become one of the best relievers in the game. They did the same thing with Tyler Clippard, too, who was mm. showing flashes of awesomeness as a reliever. And didn't they trade him for Jonathan Alabadejo, who was out they of the majors? They traded him for Chris year? Britton. Oh, Chris Britton. Yes. Another star. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally punted on, on, on. I mean, Clippard led the minors in strikeouts over three seasons. Um, and, you know, was still a starting pitcher at the time. He did wear glasses, though. He was kind of weird. He's got a buck tooth, you know. Um, but, you know, Tyler Clippard should have been a New York Yankee for in his 20s. I think that, that kind of leads me into something that we weren't planning on talking about, but I found it in, I find it interesting the more and more I think about you know, the Yankees wanting to hold on to, you know, potentially hold on to draft picks and somehow make the team better without really hurting the system. And I think there is some real opportunity to improve the team dramatically without giving up prospects or draft picks because we wrote about this a little bit in our collaborative article on like three quick ways to fix the Yankees. But you look at areas of need, the Yankees can ostensibly have a, a repeat of the 2008-2009 offseason by signing David Price, Scott Casimir, and Ben Zobrist, playing the roles of Sabathia Burnett and Teixeira. And for none of them would they have to give up a draft pick. Say what you will about their contracts and everything. And I know Price is going to get a contract that's going to end up looking like Sabathia eventually. Scott Casimir has struggled in the second half every year since his amazing return. Zobris is old and everything, but that's the same thing with every free agent class. Hayward is kind of the outlier here. But if the Yankees are going to spend money, and especially if they're going to end up flipping somebody like Gardner to save a little bit, that could be an interesting way to handle the offseason. And then, you know, you want to trade Miller. Tyler Clippert is a free agent, and... He can't get the qualifying offer either, so hey, there's another draft pick you don't have to give up. Yeah, I think um, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely with you that I think they, they should avoid having to give up that draft pick. For Hayward, it's one thing. Yeah, right. For everybody exactly. else, it's well. I, if you're going to sign David Price to a two hundred million dollar deal, I think I think the draft pick is give upable, um, but. You know, preference for for the guy who doesn't need you know doesn't you know you don't need to use so David Price doesn't have a draft pick attached to him, but Zach Greinke. Um, that said, I'm worried about windows a little bit. I don't think the Yankee window really is next season. Um, they could be competitive next season, like they were competitive this year, but it would require a remarkable lot to go right for them, which went right this year. I mean, we should sit back and think about how lucky the Yankees were that they got the production they did out of the players they did um, this season. And, you know, I love A-Rod. Probably won't hit 30 home runs next year. Uh-huh. It's probably not going to happen. Teixeira is probably not going to hit 30 home runs next year. Um, hopefully Ellsbury will be better than he was because he can't be that much worse. Uh, but, you know, the, Yankee, the Yankees got lucky a little bit last season in the health department. They probably won't next season. And so your win baseline's a little lower than it is. So, you know, the Yankees could add a David Price, and they'd be more competitive than if they didn't. Um, but I prefer to add players who, when that window really opens up, which is, you know, after Teixeira leaves, 
after probably after A Rod is no longer a full time player. You know, when Greg Bird and Aaron Judge and Mason Williams and those guys are playing and Gary Sanchez, hopefully. Um, that's kind of when I'd like to target. And that's the nice thing about Hayward is that he kind of does both. Uh-huh. I think, you know, CC Sabathia was a great deal. He got the Yankees a World Series. They shouldn't have re-signed him after he opted out. But he was a great deal. He got the Yankees a World Series. Uh, but then by the time, you know, the window was, you know, by the time he got older, the Yankees were out of that window. You, you don't want you don't want your window to be when Sabathia is old. Um, and that's what would happen right now with Price and Greinke. And, you know, Cueto, for God's sakes. But Yeah, I, mean, I, I agree. I'm not saying I endorse signing all three of those guys. I just think I just think it is interesting that for all of the brouhaha over whether or not the team should be hoarding its draft picks and everything, that there really is a real path to improvement by signing players that don't require you to give up a draft pick. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, the Yankees... If the Yankees are going to build a real team, a real powerhouse, um, not like a team that can win 90 games, but a powerhouse, they're going to have to do it through the farm system, which means they're going to need those draft picks. Now, I'll tell you what the real, what I think the real key is, is, is you kind of wait till that season, and maybe that's the season that they pick in the top 15, and so it's protected, and then you go crazy and sign everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be cool. Uh, unfortunately, next year's free agent class is not great, so maybe it's not the season to do it. Um, yeah, that's something I was looking at too, which is why I would, I guess one of the things I look at is the team gave, and Nova's going to be back in the rotation, but just for the sake of argument, the team last year gave, I think it was 25 starts to Nova, Capuano, and then the Scraps. Give those 25 starts to David Price, and that's like a five or six win swing. Yeah. If Sabathia is out of the rotation and you replace him with somebody like Casimir, that might be another two or three win swing. No, I think you're right, but I, but the but the thing is, is that any window... Is everything create, else going down around the fringes, yeah. Well, not only that, but any window you create by signing guys like that closes very quickly. That's true. Um, and, and I think that the Yankees have a chance to build that powerhouse and, but it requires them to wait to kind of, to, to reload. And, and they have a really great opportunity to reload after to share and A-Rod and Sabathia and everybody's contracts go. Um, you know, I they, think what sucks is that to is the only real big contract. Well, to and Beltron both come off the books after this year, but we have another year of Rodriguez and Sabathia. Yeah. But also, but once you, once you're down to your final year, you can, one, you can like soft retire players, put them on the DL, um, and you can also bench them and not have to worry about it as much. You know, and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can backload a contract, or you know, the, I, I think they have solutions there. Um, and Teixeira is a pretty big contract, and 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 you got Greg Bird waiting in the, in the wings for Teixeira. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're essentially saving twenty two million dollars just by doing nothing, right? Just by letting Teixeira go. Um, I think the also the other good side of that is, I mean, one you can you can reinvest twenty two million dollars somewhere else and go buy you know someone else. But I think the other good, interesting side of that is, let's say the Yankees are out of it or aren't looking great in in July, and Teixeira is p- hitting pretty well. He's tradable, mm-hmm. um, and they can get something good for him. I, I I still go back to the summer of I think it was twenty twelve where the Yankees should have traded Robinson Cano and Hiroki Kuroda, who had been the best hitter and best pitcher on the on, on the on the trade market at that deadline, and they were clearly out of it. They had like a 5% playoff odds. 
Yeah, it was and 2013, I think. They they should have traded the two of them, gotten you know, restarted the rebuilding process as quickly as possible, and they didn't. And they let Cano walk for for a draft pick, and that was a huge mistake. Um, and I I think the Yankees are will be more realistic this year because I think they feel less invincible this year than they did back then. Um, and you know, you do have a bunch of guys who are you know in theory tradable if they're having good seasons on the on this on this uh on this roster. Um. Definitely not A-Rod and Sabathia. They're here for the long haul. Um, but Tashera is definitely one of them. And maybe Ellsbury. Maybe if Ellsbury is a good, you know, you can you can start thinking about trading him. If Carl Crawford can get traded, Ellsbury can get traded. Yeah, indeed. I think Beltron might be a guy that could be easy to move to. Yeah, oh, oh, you're right. Yeah, of course, right? Beltron, if Beltron is, is hitting as well as he did after, like, May 1st last year, which was great, even if he's still a shitty defensive player and overrated, um, you know, someone will bite if he's hitting, you know, slugging 500. He's not no, going mean, to even that much. Even when you step back and look at the whole season, he had a 122 OPS plus for the season. Yeah, he was good. He was still almost replacement level because he's a terrible defender. Um, he can hit. Beltron can still hit. If Beltron is healthy, he will hit. If he was a DH, he'd be almost as good as A-Rod. But he's not a DH, and you have to play defense in baseball. Um, so I would love to dump his ass on any other team personally. If someone would take him for free, I'd give him away right now uh, <laughs> and play Mason Williams, Aaron Hicks at that position. I'm not a God, so I can't do that. And he's got no trade clause and likes New York. Um, but I think, I think that's something that they should keep in the back of their mind is, you know, Carlos Beltran, great trade tar- target. Even if they're not doing that badly, great trade target at the deadline. So, we have a little bit more time than I thought. So, do you want to do you want to touch good. on the the other blockbuster, or the yeah, I guess the real blockbuster that happened today? Well, I feel like that's a blockbuster when we are uh, a little desperate for baseball news. Um, and but, we are. Yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, the Angels traded Andrelton Simmons for, along with catcher Jose Bricchiano, um, for uh, the Angels acquired him. Acquired. I'm sorry. For Sean Newcomb, who is one of the top Angels uh, pitching prospects, and Chris Ellis, the only other Angels prospect, period, uh, and uh, Eric Ibar. Uh, this is interesting. This is real interesting. You know, Simmons Simmons is the best defensive player in baseball. Maybe there's a couple of outfielders you can kind of think about, um, but he's pretty darn good. And... Uh, the interesting thing I, is if, if you were to tell me that the Angels traded for a player, I would say, oh, so that's the player who's going to protect Mike Trout. Uh-huh. Or at least bat in front of Mike Trout. And that's not what happened. They got worse offensively. Probably picked up a better player, but got worse offensively. And so you're still going to have the problem of Mike Trout uh, being pitched around. Well, that, that was actually funny, because when I saw Andrelton Simmons being shopped, I kind of said to myself that this might be an interesting little referendum on how teams perceive defense. And I think the fact that teams do value defense very highly is apparent here, because Sean Newcomb was rated at a... Right around... In, in all the midseason prospect lists, he was rated right around being the, the 25th best prospect in baseball. And... By most accounts, he's going to be right around the same area, maybe maybe as low as 35, when the top 100 lists start eking out uh, in a month or so 
Um, and he's close to big league ready. He would probably be ready to pitch this summer. And the Angels' biggest need is starting pitching. So they really said, we are going to give up our most valuable trade chip that isn't Mike Trout to upgrade our defense at shortstop. Um, I, I think my biggest issue with this trade is, is, like you said, they hurt their offense to improve their defense because Eric Ibar is just a nice, steady shortstop. He is... I mean, this season his offense wasn't up to up to snuff, but, you know, he's he's a usually league average hitter. Not league average for a shortstop, league average hitter, which is well above average for a shortstop. And he's a good defender. Not Anderson Simmons, who's either the best or the second best defensive shortstop I've ever seen, with the other being Ray Ordonez. Um But, I mean, I know war is not the be-all, end-all stat, but over the last two years... By Baseball References version, Eric Ibar was worth six point two WAR. Yeah, I mean, I think he's... and Simmons was worth seven point three. So you you gained half a win per season. Now, now the upside is you know he's under con- Simmons is younger under contract for a long period of time, yada yada. But yeah, I I don't think it's a bad trade. And you know, I, I could see the Braves flipping him. Right, the Braves aren't going to win this season. They know that. Um, you know, even though in that division, who knows? But. Um, yeah, he's got value. You know, he's one. You know, if if you're a team out there looking for a shortstop, I don't know, you know, pick a team. Um, I'd make a move Yankees, for Ibar. I'm not not on the Yankees, but I like Didi. No, I mean, that's, I'm saying just in general. I mean, I he hasn't played there in a while, but Ibar played a lot of second base. I probably wouldn't want to sink something of much value into him right now. But no, he has a lot of value for a team as an up the middle player. Yeah, I mean, he could be a Met in next week. I do think it's pretty funny that the the Braves went from demanding Harvey DeGrom or Mats and ended up with Eric Ibar and a prospect. You know, here's the thing. I don't think that demand was all that crazy. Right? If if you accept the premise that okay, this this is a little controversial, but that hitters are in general more valuable than pitchers. And we know this for a lot of reasons, right? We know that they're paid higher than than pitchers. We know that they're giving longer-term contracts in pitchers. We know that they play both offense and defense rather than just playing defense, right? The, the, these things, you know all of these. And that pitchers are riskier than, than hitters. I actually don't think it's that crazy of a trade. I think pitchers like Harvey – yeah, pitchers like Harvey are overrated. I'm, I'm willing to say that. There's, you know, it's not that Harvey's bad, but, I mean, Harvey was, what, a four-win player last season? Uh, right around there. Yeah, I mean, let's check. I mean, his his ERA wasn't that good. Um, You know, he got good, you know, he he was good, you know, toward the end of the season, but he wasn't good in the beginning of the season. And he's a huge injury risk, right? So he had a 2.170 ERA. He was a uh, 4.3 win player last year. Pitched 189 innings. Really good, but just about as good as as Andrelton Simmons. I don't know, Um, Simmons... The, the more I look at Simmons, the, the less fantastic I feel about him because he's, um, all of his value is defense, and defense tends to peak in the, the mid-20s, and he's still young. He's still only 26 years old, but, you know, he went from having, in 2013, his first full season, he had a seven-win season by, by baseball reference, and then he used 3.3 in 2014 and 4.0 
last year. And if you look at Fangraphs, Fangraphs is even more uh, bearish on him, seeing him at 2.0 and 3.2. So if that defense slips and his offense doesn't bounce back a little bit, you're looking at kind of a good, not great player. But I mean, that, that seems like a floor, right? Like, let's say his offense stays at, right now, I got, I Fangraphs has him at negative 11 runs. Um, like, yeah, and he's, you know, the worst he's been has been in you know twenty two, you know runs saved on on defense. I mean that that that's a good floor, and I think he's got potential. Uh, I'm also kind of in the the everything the Braves touched in recent years went to Stone camp. That's true. Um, and so you know I, I feel like a good hitting coach like Kevin Long might be able to to you know kind of bring back some of what you know what uh, Simmons had when he first came up. Um, and you know and and either way I think that um. He's safer than uh, uh, Matt Harvey, or uh, even uh, Getz is an even better example, right? Of a guy who I would I would trade in a second um, if I'm if I'm the if I'm the the Mets for for a guy like Simmons. And also, if you think about for the Mets, you know what they're what they're upgrading, right? They're upgrading over you know nothing at shortstop to to a real good player. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it's um, they're locking up a position that they need to lock up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to put Simmons down. I'm just saying that there, there are more reasons to be bearish on him than I, even I initially thought at face value. Because, I mean, I, I was thinking of him as a six-seven win player, but I guess I'm still just remembering him, his couple of years ago form as opposed to his, you know, current last two years, which are more, you know, top eight shortstop in baseball as opposed to top shortstop or second best shortstop in baseball. Yeah, I don't think we really disagree. So with that, I guess we could just go into our extra innings um, where EJ and I will each get to rant about a little something. Uh, EJ is going to continue on a trend that he started a few weeks ago, or I guess a few months ago at this point. And since it's more topical, EJ, I think you should uh, lead off. Yeah, so uh, the uh, Attorney General of the State of New York announced that uh, FanDuel and DraftKings would immediately have to stop serving New York customers. Uh, This is a big deal. Um, Now, his justification was that it constituted gambling. And, you know, that's a justification. I I, I think that uh, the more you look at FanDuel and DraftKings, the more it looks like like a predatory casino type institution than it does, uh, you know, a California poker room. Um, and I've written about that and I've talked about that on this, on this podcast. What I think is more interesting about, uh, about this is that it's, and okay, I'm a, this is me putting on my PhD, my political science PhD student hat right now. Um, the regulators, you think about regulators, why regulators act. And they're not acting because all of a sudden someone read my article or read the Bloomberg article my article was about and said, oh, God, it's gambling. we got to shut this thing down, right? They're acting because the, these, these two companies have just had scandal after scandal over the last two months. Um, you know, the insider trading stuff, some of the, the data leaking stuff, um, etc. And that attracts the attention of regulators and then regulators like the New York State Attorney General go to where their their power is. You've got the state of Nevada already saying this is gambling, um, and you're you're going to have I think states step in and say you know these institutions they're not worth protecting they're not worth keeping around. 
Um, and it's interesting. I also wonder, and I, I've heard this line from enough people that I wonder if there's something to it, that people are just getting annoyed with the ads. And so they're saying, oh, fuck this company. Like, I, I, can't, I can't deal with these ads anymore. It's cool if you shut them down. Because they essentially tried to do the Uber thing where when, when, uh, when Mayor Bill de Blasio essentially threatened to, um, uh, to cap the number of cars uh, that, that uh, Uber could have on the road, uh, Uber put a little link in their app saying, uh, this is the de Blasio link, which is how much you know, the price of your Uber is going to rise if you, you, know, uh, if you don't. Uh, you know, if, if, if this goes through, you, know, you should call de Blasio and tell him you hate it. Uh, and that was really effective. And then DraftKings and FanDuel tried the same thing, and it just didn't work. Right, like people, like no, like people didn't ride to the rescue of DraftKings and FanDuel because their users in New York got pissed off. Um, New York is also important for financial reasons, right? So New York is the center of finance. The New York Attorney General plays a very important role in regulating the largest financial institutions on Wall Street, and I think that there could be something there for this um, if New York cancel, uh, classifies it as gambling. So it'll be interesting, interesting to watch. But I think I said last time we did this podcast. I'm not buying stock in FanDuel and DraftKings, and I think I was right. So good job, Major League Baseball, for buying stock in FanDuel and DraftKings. <laughs> uh, do you mind me encroaching on your extra inning a little bit? Go for it. My, my only input to this would be, you know, from, from a lawyer perspective, um, it's really not hard to construe something as gambling because, legally speaking, gambling is, is more or less anything where you put up something with short-term risk for the prospect of long-term gain, e.g. depositing $10 for the chance to win $10 million. Investing, in certain extents, can be considered gambling. So something like this, it's really not that difficult to spin this. So, so the backlash I found where a lot of people are like, oh, it's not gambling, it's competitive. Oh, it's, it's not gambling because you're not going against a faceless organization. Yeah, sorry, that doesn't really hold water. You know, we, we also put limits on who can invest in, in financial markets, right? That you mm-hmm. to, especially if you're going to say, go do the really risky stuff, like go you know, you know, invest in hedge funds. You have to be a certified investor. Essentially, you have to have enough money that you, know, you could lose some of it and not be bankrupt. Um, you know, we, don't let, we don't let mom and pop go and invest in a hedge fund for good reason because they're very risky. Um, and I think there's some justification here for, for, for FanDuel and DraftKings on the level uh, because of kind of what I was talking about, you know, last you know, the, the couple of podcasts ago where um, the, these really are predatory sites who are trying to get you know, your average Joes to put their money into their sites. Um, so I, I think that's justified. And, and if the New York Attorney General didn't, didn't get involved, Congress would have gotten involved any day now. Um, there's enough bipartisan opposition to gambling that uh, – um, I, I think this is clear. When, when they decided to exempt fantasy sports in the internet gambling law, and by the way, I, I used to love internet poker, so I do have some issues with that. But um, you know, when they decided to, decided to exempt fantasy sports, they were talking about our team on Yahoo. They weren't hmm. talking about DFS baseball. All right, so my extra inning is something that I've been talking about on Twitter a bit something I've been talking in the comments about a bit. Uh, I'll, I'll try to keep it short and sweet, and that's the prospects of Rob Ruff Snyder. A lot of people are pretty gung-ho about Rob Ruff Snyder heading into 2016, and I can't blame them. He was excellent in 2014, very good this year, and he was pretty good down the stretch with the Yankees. My issue is that 
one, he's being overrated by Yankees fans right now. I'm sorry to say that because I do like him, but he is an awful defensive second baseman. He's one of those defenders that a lay person can watch and see, hey, shouldn't he have made that? Why did he move that way? Why did he throw to that base? It's 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 hard to spot a terrible defender. Not so much with Ref Snyder. And he's he's a batting average guy. And those guys struggle a lot. You know, his offense is going to be largely driven by BABIP because he doesn't take a ton of walks and he doesn't have the power to intimidate pitchers into walking him. I like him. I think he could be a league average, maybe even the solid average, you know, a bit above average regular there. But he's not there yet. He's not somebody I'm betting on. And even though I agree I like being young, I think the a Ben Zobers contract, if it's not three years or less, is going to be bad. I would much rather have Ben Zobrist than what the Yankees are saying they're going to do this year. Which leads me into this idea of a platoon at second base with Ackley and Ref Snyder. That is the dumbest idea for a platoon I've ever heard a major <laughs> league team suggest. Because as of now, Brian Cashman and everybody in the organization that's talked about Ref Snyder has said he's second baseman, he's not playing any other position. We're not moving him back to the outfield. And I'm pretty sure, I'm double-checking now, I'm pretty sure he hasn't played a professional inning anywhere other than second base. Sorry, he hasn't played a professional inning anywhere other than second base since he paid 73 in right field in 2014, and before that he played a few innings there in 2012. They said he's a second baseman, they're not working about anywhere, they want him to get better at second base. So, you're going to platoon a right-handed hitting second baseman. So you're going to have somebody sitting on your bench that can only play one position, which isn't the most difficult position on the field, and he's going to be the short side of the platoon. That is one of the most inefficient uses of a bench spot I can think of. That would be like having Derek Jeter sit on the bench now for his leadership. <laughs> it's it's slightly better than that. Well, we had him play shortstop for his leadership. <laughs> but I mean, I like Ref Snyder. I think he can be something, but the ideas that fans are bandying about and what the team's saying, it just, it just makes no sense. I mean, seriously, talk about benches are so small now, and there's the potential that in, I don't know, 70% of a team's games, you're going to have a guy who only plays second base and only hits against left-handed pitching. It's going to be sitting on the bench. Where's the value in that? You have to maximize those positions. That's why... I like Ackley because he can play second, first, and the outfield corners. There's something there. And if Ref Snyder moves around, if they let him say he can play the outfield again, then, you know what, then if you're having them platoon and, you know, in a pinch, if, you know, Gardner and Ellsbury are out, or they bring in lefties to face them, you have Ref Snyder and Hicks to pinch it against them. But... A second baseman only on the bench just makes no sense. That's one of the reasons why Greg Bird doesn't really fit on the bench, because he's a first baseman only. And, you know, he's not that good. I mean, uh, if Rob Refsnyder had had a, a good season, not, a, not, not his 2014 season, but a good season at AAA, even if he was still a bad defender, I would, I'd be on the bandwagon. 
it wasn't good last year. Like that that that's what kills me about the the constant barrage of our fans and commenters calling for more Rob Ref Snyder. If he if he's hitting you know slugging whatever it was you know three eighty at AAA, he's not going to do better in the majors. Yeah, and I mean that's again. And it's not just what I think he can or can't do. It's the fact that you're talking about a guy who's ostensibly a second baseman only that's going to be on the short side of a, plat- of a platoon. And second base isn't a position that you have a backup who can only that play that position for. That's why you keep somebody like Brendan Ryan, because he can play second, third, and short. And first base if Joe Girardi has a stroke. <laughs> he had a lot of strokes two years ago. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I want Jed Gorko. That's my second baseman. Yeah, I mean that's Padre. something that's something I missed that a few people have talked about. You talked about actually in the email chain. Um, you know, if you're talking about moving Gardner for a pitcher and a second baseman, you look at Tyson Ross or Andrew Kashner plus Judd Gorko on the Padres. Yeah. That could be a good deal. I, I think there's a trade that involves Craig, Craig Cambrell and Jed, Jed Gorko coming back to the Yankees. The Padres have Corey Spangenberg. Um, who's probably a better hitter than, than Jed Gorgo, if not roughly equal and not on a big contract. And they've been trying to shed some payroll because they added too much and were dumb last year. It seems like a logical trade. I think there's a trade there. If, I'm not sure if Brett Gardner's the guy that they want, even though I guess they don't I – don't, I don't know what their outfield looks like. Well, they need a center fielder. And if they if, – if, you know, that's one of the things with the Cubs too. If a team looks at him and says he can play center field, there's a lot of people who could use him because, I mean – the Padres center fielder this season, towards the end, ended up being uh, the artist formerly known as BJ Upton, now Melvin Upton. He was pretty Upton. good this year, though. Yeah, he, he turned it around. He's another one of those examples of uh, getting the hell away from the Braves and improving. Yeah, I mean, that's also my Dustin Ackley theory, right? Everything the Mariners touch goes to stone, goes to stone especially hitters, especially young hitters. Uh, so, you know, but... Um, no, I do not want the Yankees to trade for BJ Upton, but I would love to trade for... Um, uh, for um, for Jed Gorko and, and I think that they I is it is it bad they, that I wouldn't hate Upton because not saying that I want to trade Gardner for him or anything but it's it's funny I brought up his baseball reference page 108 OPS plus with the rate 105 OPS plus with the with the Rays 112 OPS plus with the Padres 66 with the Braves yeah uh, I mean I think um, what are they doing there I would trade him I would. If it's a bad contract or bad contract kind of thing, I don't know which bad contract the, the Padres would take. I don't think it's CC. I don't think it's A-Rod. I don't think it's... Uh, I guess it could be Ellsbury. Fuck it, Ellsbury for Upton. Let's do it. Platoon him with... Uh, he's a righty. Platoon him with Slade Heathcott or Mason Williams in center. I, You know something? My girlfriend lives in San Diego. I'll go out. I'll call them up. Knock on the door. And see if we'll do it. <laughs> So now that we're talking about trading for BJ Upton, I think it might be time to uh, <laughs> time to call yeah. it a night and say until Put the next time. bottle down. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, when hopefully we'll uh, be able to talk about something new and exciting. Have a good night, everyone. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion, and once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. 
Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.